You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. I, I made people cry, I made people laugh, I made people fall in love. I have evoked emotions that no one else could do. I'm an image maker and an emotion maker, and maybe I'm a little crazy, you know, because to accomplish what I do, you can't do it normally. Hollywood producer Robert Evans. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. As a young man, Robert Evans wasn't even in show business. Until the day he was spotted by actress Norma Shearer who thought he would be perfect for a role in one of her movies. And the rest, uh, as they say, is, well, you know. From acting, Evans moved on to producing movies, and in the 60s and 70s, some of his movies became classics. Rosemary's Baby, The Godfather, Love Story, Chinatown. But a drug-related conviction in 1980 seriously damaged Robert Evans' career. He never did come back to his former glory. His last movie was in 2003, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. In 1994, Evans wrote a memoir, a book he'd long wanted to write, to perhaps spill a little tea in Hollywood. And that's when I met him. And even if somehow you don't find his stories interesting, I guarantee you'll be mesmerized by this man's magnificent voice. So here now, from 1994, Robert Evans. As Simon Schuster was publishing the book, uh, when I it's taken me four years to write it. And when I turned it in, a year and a half late, but they knew it was going to be late. Uh, they informed me that I was in breach of contract and they were only published 5,000 copies and do no advertising. And if I tried to break the breach, they would, they would stop me from showing it anywhere else. And I told them that if they stopped me, they're going to be wearing striped suits going the other way because I can open a few closets there. I've been there for 25 years. Uh, reluctantly, they allowed me to auction the book off, and Michael Eisner of Disney read it and wanted it, and it's his personal book. Um, it's, they didn't, in essence, want my voice telling the skeletons of Paramount Pictures in the second half of the 20th century, but it does, and it's in the 412 pages, and I gotta tell you, it ain't no musical. That story almost calls to mind the, the Steve McQueen and then, then the, the dossier on the yes, table story. Uh, uh, you know something? When you got to fight for something, you do whatever you can. And sometimes when your back's against the wall, the impossible becomes possible. And uh, as far as Steve McQueen goes, he's dead now. and He's a, he was a good pal of mine. But uh, when someone tries to take a kid away and give him a different name... Anything goes. And they ended up calling me Mr. Why did you write this book? Very good reason. It certainly was not for the monetary remuneration because I've lost money writing it. It's taken me four years. It certainly wasn't for the pleasure. It's been the single most painful experience of my life. Writing about your screw-ups and rewriting them and rewriting and rewriting them. You know, a nine-month pregnancy is bad enough. This is a four-year pregnancy. I wrote it for two reasons. One, I wrote it for my son, my only kid. His name was Joshua. I wanted to let him know who his old man really is, for better or for worse. A lot of it's for worse. But I may not be able to leave him much bread when I die. My will may not be too thick in the vaults. 
but uh, this is a legacy about the celebration of an individual. At least he'll know who this old man is, for, and I say for better or worse. And he, he's my only kid, and I love him, and he'll know me, and I want him to. The second reason, and this may sound rather strange to you, I'm over 60, okay? And I got off the mat at the age of 60, like I was hit by Mike Tyson. And I got up and I made it back. And if I can do it at 60, I don't want to hear any kid at 30 saying they can't do it, or a woman who gets a divorce at 32 and has two kids say she can't do it, or a kid who gets out of college who says, I can't get a job, he can't do it. You can make it if you try and you can do it. And if I can do it, hey, at my age, you can do it. I'm not saying forcing you to do it. You can learn how to do it. And my book may be the ultimate how-to book ever written. And it's a tough book. It ain't no musical. As told as it is, and it hurts. And and the one who's most deprecated in this book is me. But I'm still proud of myself because I got up from the canvas and I made it back at 60. Usually when you're successful, you're put out to pasture at 60, forgetting being a leper. And I was a leper. I went from legend to leper. I got off the floor. It hurt. It was tough to make each day. But I got back. I say, if I do it, anybody can. That's the reason I wrote the book. Is that only two-thirds of the sentence? Legend to leper to legend again? Well, this, this may sound strange to you. Look, I've made The Godfather. I've made Love Story. i made Chinatown. I've made True Grit. i made Urban Cowboy. i Made a lot of very big pictures. Next to my kid being born, when this book came through and I looked at it, it was the most exciting moment of my life. Why? Number one, I didn't cop out. Number two, it was all my own. There were no committees. There was, there were no censorship. There was no second guesses. If I fell on my ass or grabbed the brass ring, it was mine. And the pain that I had was all worth it when I looked through it. Because let me tell you, you haven't read a book like this. Plus, you didn't have to worry about kind of what kind of rating Jack Valenti would put on. Oh, it's, uh, they said it in, uh, they, by the way, Time Magazine said today what the rating was, NC-17. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Time today, seriously. And it is an NC-17, a hard NC-17, but that's what life is, hard. Who said life is fair? But life is life, and you should be excited to live it. And I am. How did you decide at the outset how frank a book it had to be? Well, very easily. First of all, I've been laid, parlayed, and relayed. I've been split open, slit in quarters. I, mean, I don't care what people say about me. I, I like myself. I'm a good person. But more important than that, if I can talk about myself the way I do, then I can talk about anybody. Most people aggrandize themselves and put other people down. I come out worse in this book than anybody else in the book. But I come out with my head up. And as you also point out, there's three versions of everything. You know, there are three sides to every story. It's true. You know, a professor at Harvard University four years ago in a psychology class had a flasher run through his class and asked 30 students what they had just seen, and he got 30 different answers. It's no different. You know, there are three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth, and none of us are lying. Memory shared, whether it be day or decade, serve each differently. But the one thing, the one ace I've been dealt in life's deck is memory, is recall. And I make no apologies to what I say about anybody because the one most hit is me. 
and they're lucky to be remembered in other guys' bumpy road. Something else that comes across, a theme that comes across in your book, as it does in, in some others that I've read that aren't as well written, uh, is that with one little twist, one phone call that didn't come through, or one decision that could have gone the other way, one person who handed you a piece of paper that they didn't hand you, how different your life could have been at any number of different junctures, how radically different it could have become. Did you hit a sensitive point just now? And you know something that's never been asked me? I've, been in, I've had several interviews around the country. One seven-digit call, if I had made the call, would have changed the second half of my life from one of infamy to one of regality. And I didn't make the call. I was forced not to make it. I, my constitutional rights were taken away from me. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, the worst mistake I ever made in my life. There's one call, and I didn't make it, and I'll never forgive myself for it, except that it's too late and can't go backwards. But my entire life would have been different if I made this one call, and I didn't do it. Was I wrong? So wrong. I can't believe I was that dumb, but I didn't do it. Can you tell us without giving away the not. book? I would rather not. Uh, it's in the book. I don't want to give it away. You know, my book reads like cheap fiction. <laughs> and uh, so they said in Newsweek today, it's, uh, it reads like a gangster movie. But it's all true. Everything is documented. After this short break, Robert Evans talks about one of the great paradoxes of Hollywood. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Robert Evans. Being in the right place at the right time, you were at the, the office that, that tragic that, night in the summer of 69 when you the, should have been at, at Sharon, Sharon Tate's, Tate's home, house. and I would have been dead. I, I should have, I, I was dancing at El Morocco, and Daryl Zanuck saw me and starred me opposite Ava Gardner. I was at the pool at the Beverly Hills Hotel when Norma Shearer saw me and wanted me to play her deceased husband. I am incident-prone in life. Some people are accident-prone, some people are health-prone, some people are height-prone. I'm incident-prone. Most of it's been good. Some has been very bad. But I'm not complaining. Believe me, I'm not. Who says life is easy? It isn't. But uh, I am incident-prone. Always have been. And uh, overall, I think it's served me more good than it did bad. But the bad <laughs> hurts. The good doesn't feel as bad, as bad as the bad hurts. But the successful person knows that there are going to be incidents. I mean, I suspect a lot of people are incident-prone, but they have no idea how to take advantage of those incidents. My, I, it's, You know, when I started the book, every in the, in the reviews that I've seen, let me rephrase this, the reviews that I've seen, they also, even if it isn't true, if these stories are exaggerated, it makes such good reading, it doesn't matter. <laughs> the truth be it that each story is underplayed. Everything is documented. I thought if I wrote the book and told everything that you they'd say I was on an acid trip or something because it doesn't seem believable. It's really... I've lived, I've lived 10 lives. I can't believe I'm here today. I'm shocked that I am. I've skirted death more times than I've put on a sweater in my life. I've, I've taken chances where I look back at them, I have to look at myself as an idiot to do it. I have no fear. It's a strange thing. I don't care if I, I... Slow death is something that bothers me. But if I got shot tomorrow, if I got run over, it wouldn't bother me. If I took on someone on a one-on-one -on -one and they put me out, it would happen. I have no fear. And that particular emotion 
has brought me to great heights and great lows. It did occur to me for the for the family in Des Moines who reads your book and they have the only picture they have of what Hollywood is like is a book like yours. It sure seems like an awfully vicious place to be. Oh, I don't think it's vicious at all. Uh, very few businesses forgive people and take them back. If I were in the steel business and the auto business and the coal business, for what I've had done through my life, I could never get back. Hollywood's a very generous city there, very embracing there, very forgiving. Uh, look at look at so many people have come back with the worst scandals, and yet they've come back and worked. Uh, there's no there's no community that is more charitable than, than as they say, quote Hollywood. I want to say something else about Hollywood. This I'm very proud of. The American film is the only product that is manufactured in the United States of America that is number one in every country in the world. The American film flies the American flag higher than anything made in this country. We should be proud of it. If Hertz can say we're number one, the American film is number one in every country. When the Japanese came over to America, they made better cars or cheaper cars. They made better or cheaper computers. They made better this, better that, cheaper this, cheaper that. They couldn't copy the American film. They had a bias, and did they pay heavy to get into our club? It's a very elusive club. In India, they make 800 films a year, yet the American film is still number one in India. We should be proud of the, of the American film. We should be proud of when we turn out in Hollywood. I am really proud of the business I'm in because I make something better than anyone can make it in the world. I'm a patriot. I see my flag, the American flag, fly our product. And we're number one. I love to say I'm number one. Name another name another industry that, that can say they're number one. None. But the American film does. People should be behind us. Shouldn't look at us as scandal. Shouldn't look at us as gossip. They should salute us because of what we accomplish. And we work real hard to accomplish what we do. It ain't easy. It's not an easy business at all. Tough, you bet it's tough. But everything else is too. And the real people who work in our business get up at 6 in the morning and work till midnight. No one, no one works harder than I do, and people whom I know, I mean hard. And I'm not rich. I have no money. People talk grand. That's, that's the press. That's, they want ink. It sounds glamorous. Bullshit. It's not true. They're, I know wealthy people in the real estate business, in the, uh, in the oil business. People in Hollywood, they, they make good livings. So, but they work, they work so hard. They give so much of themselves. And, and they belong to more causes than any other industry. They give more to charity than any other industry. We're a very good and forgiving people. Yeah, it's written up a lot. It's highly profile. People love to make, you know, who wants to read good gossip? No one does. It's bad gossip people like to read. And we're highly profiled. But for what I've gone through in my life, to be forgiven and be back on top, I salute the people who are around me. I salute my peers for allowing that to happen. Well, as thick-skinned as you have to be to let most of that bad gossip roll off your back. I mean, you don't read the National Enquirer, or at least no. you don't believe anything like that. But, but, but you know, there, s- are, there are people out there in the heartland, people who go to your movies, who think really nasty things so about you. I, I don't want to be loved by everybody. I don't care. I care about very few people. I am what I am. That's all what I am. I know I'm a good person. I've given to too many things. I've saved too many people's lives. I've made too many people's futures. I've educated too many people. I've, I, I've made people cry, I've made people laugh, I've made people fall in love. I've evoked emotions that no one else could do. Let them try and do it. I don't, they, let them think what they want about me. I'm an image maker and an emotion maker, and maybe I'm a little crazy, you know, because to accomplish what I do, you can't do it normally, but I do it. And I accomplish things that 
that doctors can't accomplish. I make people healthy through laughter and, and feeling good about themselves. I've made, I've devoted years of my life to make things for kids, for nothing. I, I made, I, I made the America's gift to his holiness. And I spent a year and a half, and I was being bankrupt doing it, I didn't care. It was about forgiveness, because there's a greater shortage of forgiveness in this world, there's a food. And I believe in more of those things than most people, anyone who listens to your show, I promise you that. And yet I was knocked down so bad I couldn't get up, but I got up, and I'm back, and I'm proud of getting back. It's much easier getting, getting there first to make it is tough. To get knocked down hurts, but to get up again and get up there, that's real tough. And this book is about that. You can do it. You can get hit by a baseball bat. You can get hit below the belt. No one said life is fair. That doesn't mean you should curl up and look for sympathy because no one cares. And if you don't stay in the picture, no one cares either. you got to stay in the picture. That's what it's about. Uh, it's strange. Jack Nicholson wanted me to call the book Notorious because I have a notorious reputation, okay? Fine. So does he. Sherry Lanson, is chairman of the board of Paramount, wanted me to call it Bulletproof. Good title for it. I've been shot at a lot. I'm still here. But the reason it's called The Kid Stays in the Picture is that Daryl Zanuck, when I was an actor and I played a bullfighter in a film, he was the only one who wanted to be in the film. And they picked up the megaphone. He said, The Kid Stays in the Picture, and anybody who doesn't like it can quit. And that was a microcosm of my life. But it's also a microcosm of your life, and your life, and everyone I know's life. You gotta stay in the picture, and sometimes it's tough to make it get get it up for the day. I know it has been for me. I'm sure it has been for you. Sure, it has been for everyone who's listening. But you can do it. Robert Evans died in 2019. He was 89. And you can find easy Amazon links to Robert Evans' books at our website, HeardEverything.com. Oh, and while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with Hollywood producer David Brown. I don't look back. As I grew older, I looked I looked back for the purpose of writing a memoir. That was wonderful fun. And I've been caught in some interviews being rather hazy about who was in some of my movies. And my interview with Mia Farrow. I was on my first movie set, you know, before I even can remember. My father was a director, John Farrow. My mother was Maureen O'Sullivan, who played Jane in the Tarzan movies. So I spent a lot of my childhood on sets. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the guy who wrote about sports and baseball in particular for the Washington Post for over half a century. My 1994 conversation with the recently retired Tom Boswell. I don't think that games teach character. I think they tend to reveal character, the pressure of, of being in a situation that you have said, this is important to me. This really matters whether we win this game or not. Um, money does the same thing. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.